My hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me. Welcome to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, the ministry of Calkins Baptist Church near Milanville, Pennsylvania. For well over a year now, our pastor has been discussing the messages that Jesus Christ himself preached. Three weeks ago, Pastor Jones began his study of Christ's final sermon as recorded in the New Testament. This is sometimes called Jesus' message to the seven churches of Asia as found in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. Today's message was directed to the church at Thyatira, a congregation where many good things were happening, but which also had one glaring error that could become very damaging if God's people did not respond correctly. I hope you'll listen to this very serious and quite controversial message that Jesus gave to his church at Thyatira. Well, it's good to be with you again on the Beacon of Hope broadcast, and we're at Christ's last message that he preached. And this was specifically given to the Apostle John to pass on to seven local churches that were existing at that time in the Roman province of Asia. And uh, these churches would be in modern-day Turkey today. And we've been asking a question that I think is pretty important to consider, and that is, has the church of Jesus Christ changed from what the Lord would have it be uh, when he founded the church uh, after his resurrection. And I think an answer really, it's not a simple answer, but it would really depend on the, on the, on the given church. And so what we've seen so far is, is we're looking at Jesus addressing seven different churches. And I really believe that these seven churches are highly representative of, of churches that are be, will be on the earth down through the ages and are on the earth today. And these different types are addressed so that we can understand uh, and see better where where we're at and how to correct our errors. And so the first church that Jesus dealt with, we dealt with a few weeks ago, is the church at Ephesus. This was a church that was doing a lot of good things. They definitely had a high level of discernment. We're not allowing false doctrine into the church. So they were solid on that. Uh, but they had really lost their first love. That was the Lord's major criticism for them. And so he had said, if you don't get your love back, if you don't, uh, really they'd abandoned that love for him. If you don't get that love back, then you're going to lose your church altogether. And I think many of us, if we could think about it, have seen that happen, where you had a church that was very vibrant and loving and warm in your community. And if that uh, spirit of love for the Lord uh, goes away and and, and uh, people don't make very serious efforts to get back on track, uh, uh, a cold, hardened church becomes a dead church and it eventually goes out. And that's exactly what the Lord said would happen to this church at Ephesus. The second church Jesus dealt with, we dealt with a, 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 about two weeks ago, was the church at Smyrna. This church was going through great persecution. They were not popular in the community because the the uh, the locals, many of them, uh, worshipped the emperor of Rome. And they would offer a, a yearly sacrifice. And so this was a very patriotic Roman society. And um, the Christians were more than happy to uh, serve the Roman emperor if he needed help in, a, say, a war. They would, they would be willing to do that. But what they would not do is worship him as a god. And so merely over refusing to offer one sacrifice once a year, many Christians went to their deaths in the city of Smyrna, one of whom we know as uh, Polycarp, one of the great uh, leaders of the early church. And so Christ, when he's addressing this persecuted church, 
was saying to them that they should uh, basically continue on, be, be true to the faith, and he had nothing negative at all to say to the persecuted church at Smyrna. A third church he addressed, and we talked about them last week, was the church at Pergamos, and this church had some persecution going on. They they had some a, a number of good things going on as well. They they seemed to to love the Lord and and wanted to do right. Uh, one of their members had actually been put to death because of his loyalty to the faith. And Jesus said, "You're in the place where Satan's throne is." They were in a very tough city that evidently was the worst of the lot of the seven of them as far as a place to to hold a Christian testimony. This was a very difficult spot. And yet they were allowing some compromise into the church. Some people were were starting to, to be part of the church that were believing a false doctrine that Jesus called the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which, uh, as best we can understand, it seems to be kind of laxing your uh, separation from evil and trying to get along more with uh, with with evil practices of the area. Again, you can understand why they would think that because they were under such pressure. And yet our Lord was telling them you can't do this and uh, was rebuking them for that. Now we come today to our, the fourth church that Jesus will address. It's in the city of Thyatira. And like the uh, uh, Ephesus church, like the Pergamus church, he's got some good things to say about them, and he's got some uh, criticisms, uh, areas that they need to shore up. And so we're going to examine the church of Thyatira in just a moment. Let's go ahead and ask God's blessing upon his word. Father, give us grace as we look into your word, give us understanding. We know that what we'll say today will not be uh, politically correct, and we know that there are many things that uh, will come out of this passage that uh, may be offensive to some, and yet we also know, Lord, that we are called, as these people were, to be true to what you said and not to uh, what we think people want to hear. And so help us to be faithful to you, and we pray that you'd help sincere listeners to tune in and to and to uh, uh, seriously consider what your word has to say to them, and may they not only hear but obey, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So Jesus starts out, And to the angel or the messenger of the church in Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has his eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. And so our Lord did this with each of the seven churches, and that is he starts out with a description of himself. And that description will be important when you consider what he has to say to the church. So the first thing he mentions about himself is he is the Son of God. And so this church, as well as all of us, need to always remember that he is God and we are not. And that may sound simple, but the reality is many times we like to treat God like a CEO where we say, well, we'll definitely take what you have to say under advisement, but we kind of reserve veto privilege to ourselves. And that's not right. We we need to realize that our Lord may ask us to do very uh, difficult things, things that are not popular with the world around us, but our job is to be faithful to him. So we don't have a right to ignore what God says, and some Christians will do that, and it's pretty easy. We can read, we can just not read our Bibles to ignore him and maybe turn off uh, whatever programs or opportunities we have to, to uh, listen to the Word of God. Maybe when we go to church, we can just fall asleep and not listen to what is being said. So we can try to ignore what God says, or we can try to twist what he says, and there are many people doing that today. Uh, people who are trying to redefine marriage, saying that a man can marry a man and a woman can marry a woman, they're they're taking scriptures that clearly teach 
that this is a sin against God and trying to twist them into saying, oh, no, 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 God's not against that. And that is doing violence to his word and it is not following Christ as the son of God. And this church is going to have to make some uh, choices and they're going to need to realize that Jesus is God. They're not and they need to follow him. The next thing he said about himself was he said he has eyes like a flame of fire. You say, what would be the significance of that? Well, think of something like a f- fire coming out of a person's eyes. We sometimes use that for anger. And there certainly is some, there are certainly things that Jesus is, is uh, angry about, about the church, although he has many good things to say to them. But I think it's more of an idea of the fact that God sees right through us. If you can almost think of uh, uh, just a kind of x-ray vision, the Lord sees through us. And, and in the ancient world, that probably was a better picture, uh, since they wouldn't have the technology of today, to say that he had eyes like a flame of fire. He can look right through us. He understands what each of our churches are doing, why we're doing it. He sees the good. And he sees the bad. And that's exactly what's going on as he addresses this church. The third thing he said about himself, he said, I, I, I'm the son of God, eyes like a flame of fire, feet like fine brass. What's the significance of that? Well, in the Old Testament, brass was used to build uh, three different objects that, that were connected with the worship of God. Let me, And there's others, but let me just focus on three for time's sake. One would be the altar of burnt offering. That's where all the sacrifices for sin were done. And they plated that with brass. They built it out of a wood substance, and then they plated it with brass. And when you think about it, it is showing the judgment of sin. That's why those animals were, were dying. They were showing the ultimate sacrifice that was coming, which was going to be bloodier and far more violent than what happened with those animals. When Jesus was going to go to the cross, that was what that was picturing, the judgment upon sin. And so it would seem that brass, brass definitely represents that. Now, there's another um, thing uh, that was built out of brass, and that was there were two uh, pillars when they built the temple. The two pillars were made out of brass. They were, they were 27 feet high. They had a capital on top of that of five, um, uh, excuse me, seven and a half more feet. Uh, they had, I think at least that capital was filled with oil. The thickness of the, of the, uh, the pillar that itself was, they said, four fingers thick. So basically the width of your hand. And, and they said the brass, they couldn't even uh, calculate the weight of it. Uh, for one of those pillars. And again, it would be a very um, uh, beautiful thing in a way because it's such majestic pillars right in front of the temple itself. And from my understanding, the, on, the, on the capitals, they contained oil up there. And so they would light that oil and it would, it would be a flame, um, almost like the, the flame that was originally on the Statue of Liberty. And so it would be a very majestic, very beautiful sight as you're coming into the, the toward the temple, which was on a mountain, and you'd see that afar off and the majesty and the beauty of those pillars. And so there's a beauty there. But again, the temple is a place of sacrifice. And so we see again the picture of, of judgment on sin. And so when Jesus says he has feet like, uh, like fine brass, it seems to indicate his willingness to actually stamp out sin and deal with it. And there was some issues that were going. There were issues going on with the church in, in Thyatira that Jesus would address. Now, the next thing he does, 
after he introduces himself to the church, he now uh, begins to uh, point out, first of all, their positive attributes and then the things that he's concerned about. So on the positive side, he says, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Now, when we stop and consider what Jesus said to this church on the positive side, it was very encouraging. He said, I see your works. I see your love. And nothing is more important than the attribute of love for the Christian. And that involves love for for God, love for your Christian brother, and love for your neighbor in that order. And the Lord is saying, I see this. You're you're a loving church. And that's a tremendous compliment. He said, I see your service. So that, that naturally springs from our love for God because we care about the Lord and we care about our Christian brother and we care about people around us who aren't even part of our church. That's a church that's going to be doing things to help and be a blessing to their community at large. Uh, for instance, uh, years ago when we had a saint in our church, an elderly man, and he um, had a roof issue. And uh, thankfully, many of us got together. It was a blessing on our part to do it. We got together, and we had a, a like a roofing bee at, at his house, and, and a number of folks got, uh, were on the roof. Others were, were working on the ground. I'm, I was working on the ground and uh, had a great time uh, helping him out and doing a job that really he was too old to do. Uh, it's a blessing uh, for church people to do that for each other. But it's also a great joy to help people in our community who are not part of our church. And this church is known, Jesus is saying, I see your love and I see your service. He says, I see your faith. Now, it's interesting because in the original language, the way this was written, actually faith preceded the word service in the verse. And that's interesting, too, because he's saying you're living lives based upon faith in the Lord, trusting me. And and uh, so your and your service is springing from this. So you are, have a, are a loving church. You believe. You truly believe in the Lord. And your faith your faith is causing you to serve other people. Your love is causing you to serve. And so these are all wonderful things. He said something else. He said, "I see your patience." And that word patience, uh, according to a, a Greek lexicon called uh, Freiburg, which I use uh, uh, quite extensively. Um, uh, they said that that this is a state of mind of patience or steadfastness in a course of action you have taken. And so it's not just endurance would be a good word here, but it's even better than endurance. It's like endurance with a good attitude. So these people were loving the Lord, loving uh, their Christian brothers and sisters, loving their neighbors. They were serving. They had genuine faith, and they're sticking with it, and they're not mad about doing it. They're not angry with doing it. Jesus said, I see something else in you. I see your works. And the last are more than the first. So he sees that these people aren't just talking a good line. They're, they're actively serving. They're, and they're not only actively serving, but they're progressing in their service. They're actually doing more now than they were doing at an earlier point that Christ is, is mentioning. So he says, your, your works are greater now than they were when, when you first got started. And so, wow, this is a tremendous set of six different compliments that the Lord gave to the church at Thyatira. But he did have concerns. And our Lord um, doesn't just see with with his piercing gaze, he doesn't just see the good things in a church. And you'd like to say, well, that's good enough, isn't it? You know, Lord, we're we're doing all these good things, uh, so, so therefore we don't need to work on anything. And the reality is 
Jesus sees sin going on as well, and it's important that they deal with it. And so what does he see? Verse 20, Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that woman Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants, to commit sexual immorality, and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill their children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. Now, for starting out so positive, you'll notice that Christ then gets very uh, specific and very serious about dealing with sin. And I've learned something over the last several months personally, um, and I, I pray that it is something that I will grab onto for the rest of my life, and that is we can be... Um, like grading ourselves on a curve and sort of thinking, well, you know, I'm doing good in all these areas. I mean, you think this church was doing a number of things very well, loving and serving and faith and patience, endurance, and, and, and even growing in their, in their outreach and all these wonderful things. And so you can say, well, it really then doesn't matter if a few things aren't quite right. And, and that's just not so because sin is like, um, uh, is like a, a bad apple in the bunch. You know, we had a, a number of, of years ago, my wife and I went down to Lancaster and got some uh, 50-pound sack of potatoes for a really, really reasonable price. And um, so what we noticed at the time, uh, it was on discount, but uh, the potatoes were wet. And foolishly, we brought them back, and I really didn't make any kind of a major adjustment. I just put them down in our cool basement and left them. And that moisture was into some of them pretty heavy and they rotted and it basically we we lost almost the entire 50 pound uh, sack of potatoes why because uh, there was a, a rot that came in and we didn't address it we didn't separate it out that's what would have been the first step get rid of the bad ones and then we also and i did that by the way uh, part way through but uh, by that time I, I never really got the moisture out of everything and they just all went and sin is like that when, when it comes into a congregation, we'd be very careful that we don't allow um, that, that sin to stay there and to fester, because when it does, the Lord knows that we can really have problems and issues uh, down the road. And so he is instructing this church. Now, you've got, you've got some problems here. Now, first thing he mentioned was they had allowed a woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce God's servants. And this was making the Lord very angry. Now, um, Jezebel is probably not her actual name. The The Lord is, is uh, calling her that term. And really, you'd have to know your Old Testament. Some of you would remember that there was a wicked queen by the name of Jezebel in the Old Testament nation of Israel. She had a, a husband named Ahab, who was wicked in himself, but the Bible says she stirred her husband up to more wickedness uh, than any other king in that in that kingdom uh, that had ever sat on the throne. Uh, Jezebel was an avid pagan. She worshipped a god called Baal. They they used um, all their uh, political power and and uh, power as as the king and the queen to not only introduce Baal worship, but then to actually murder the prophets of of the true God. 
Uh, Jezebel, if you've heard of the prophet Elijah in the Old Testament, Jezebel was was a sworn enemy of Elijah and promised that she would kill him, was, was unsuccessful, but that was her absolute desire. And so Jesus is comparing a woman in this church to Jezebel. Now, uh, what did this woman, what was this woman doing? Well, he says, you have, uh, you have allowed Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and to eat things sacrificed to idols. Now, she's lying about who she is, first of all. She calls herself a prophetess. And I know this is not politically correct in our day, but I will tell you that the scriptures teach that uh, a, a woman is not to be the teacher in a local church. She's certainly allowed to teach other women. The Bible says in, in Titus chapter 2 that the older women are to instruct the younger women, but she is not to lead a congregation. And there's several scriptures that say that. First um, Timothy 3 says that God says he doesn't allow a woman to teach, or First Timothy 2, excuse me. Um, also in First Corinthians chapter 14, the same um, uh, command is given. So uh, God expects male leadership in the in the uh, uh, pastor position, deacon position of a local church, and the scriptures are quite clear on that. Uh, but this woman is allowed in. Not only is she teaching, but she is calling herself a prophetess, and she's bringing false doctrine with her. She's saying that um, that God's people can go back, evidently, to these pagan sacrifices. And there's a lot of them going on in these pagan cities. So it's not like uh, today where we we very rarely run into people who still believe in the ancient gods. But in, in, uh, this era, in this era, in the first century, there's a lot of that still going on. And, the, and so they, she was telling the people, oh, it's okay to go back and to eat these uh, sacrifices that are made to idols and, and you know, sit in with your, with your friends who are non-Christian uh, at these uh, worship. Really, the, the, the sacrifices have been made to the idol, and now everybody's feasting. And Jesus is saying, no, you ought to keep my people out of those events. Why? Because part of what happens in these pagan uh, festivals is fornication or immorality here. And so as she is encouraging them to go back into the the pagan um, um, uh, sacrificial feasts, what's resulting from that is also that a lot of these people are getting back into the old lifestyle of immorality. And, and this, I, I need to talk to both Christians and non-Christians at this point. If you're a non-Christian, many times you get frustrated over people who claim to be Christians and they seem to be changing somewhat and then they then they have these then they, they go back into their old lifestyle and you're saying to yourself, Well where is where is if you really are a believer, where's this uh, um, where's this change that Christ is making? And um, can I just tell you that when a believer gets saved, they they're not perfect. They, they, the old nature, the old uh, desires for the wicked things that they used to do, d- don't go away. They still have those. What they have that's different now is they have the Holy Spirit living within them that God gives at conversion, and the Holy Spirit hates the old lifestyle. And so the Holy Spirit convicts them and will empower them to have victory over the old lifestyle. But if they listen to the old nature... Let's just say you had a friend, Bob, and Bob is, uh, was an alcoholic. Bob got saved. 
And Bob really is changing, and God's working in his life. And and boy, he's been sober for six months and just on fire for the Lord and telling everybody what Jesus has done for him. And then all of a sudden, you find out, well, Bob went back to the drink. And boy, he's 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 having a header right now, and he's really going uh, um, in the wrong direction. And you may be standing on the outside saying, look, I never had a problem like Bob. I've never had any real struggle with alcohol. And look, this guy who claims to be a Christian, here he is back at the, you know, back uh, really getting in, in trouble with booze again. Well, what happened? Well, Bob may have been genuinely saved. We, again, we can't see his heart. It could be that he was just playing the game. It could be just he got excited about something. But, but he possibly was saved. And the problem is that he still has that old nature. And if Bob gets back into the old lifestyle uh, very much, you know, he's susceptible to going right back to that. He's not, he's not um, given by God a perfect uh, nature that will never sin again. And so that's why, unsafe friend, you may see Christians and they're up and down. They're, they're not like consistent like you would hope they would be or think they would be. The reality is, yes, they have a new nature that God gives inside of them, the Holy Spirit, and he is powerful. But if they don't want to listen to the Holy Spirit and they go back into the old lifestyle, they can get sucked in and do some horrendous things again. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church. Now, back to the message. And you say, well, uh, so I can't see Bob's heart. I can't tell if he genuinely was converted or not. It does make you a question, doesn't it, if he goes back? But I will tell you this. If Bob is a genuine Christian, a couple things are going to happen, one of two. And that is either God's going to discipline him, and it can even involve death. Um, or Bob will get right, and he'll feel terrible. And, you know, it'll, it'll, many times it'll hinder him witnessing. He's like, oh, how can I tell anybody I've gone back to the booze and, and I'm struggling again. But you know what? If Bob will keep at it, if he'll keep um, uh, working at, at uh, following Christ, over time, the Lord's going to change him. My dad one time was a pastor, and in, 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 uh, up in upstate New York, he ran into a guy. His name was Dave. And Dave wouldn't have really probably considered the Lord too much, but um, his wife and he were uh, both m- very much in an ungodly lifestyle. And um, and his wife tried to commit suicide. She slit her wrists, and uh, Dave happened to come back, at um, again, in, in God's goodness, came back, found his wife, and, and saved her life. And as a result of that, somehow my dad got called in on the situation, and he went to talk to him. And as God uh, led my dad, he's talking to Dave about salvation. And Dave had an interesting question. He said, now, I'd like to be saved. But he said, to be honest with you, preacher, he said, I really like a, I really like a, 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 a beer every once in a while. And he said, um, you know, I, I, I don't know what, to, what I can do about that. And my dad said this. He said, Dave, if, if God would take that desire away, would you be okay with that? Would you be okay if he if he took that desire away, he said, "Yeah." If he took that desire away, he said, "It'd be fine." And Dave accepted the Lord that day, and 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 meant it. I will tell you this: that after his conversion, Dave was glad about it. He was a changed man. But there was a time when he went back to the alcohol for a short period of time. But God gave him victory. He actually became a deacon in my dad's church and became very faithful. Uh, but again, it wasn't that he was perfect from the moment of his salvation. He had a struggle. And I just want you to consider this too. If you had, let's say, a drug problem, and I've dealt with people with that issue, and you've been struggling, 
and uh, boy, you've and 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 you've accepted Christ, and you meant it. You weren't playing a game, um, but but every once in a while, you you really um, you've you've gone back. Well, what what do you do about that? I, I'll, I'll tell you, one of the keys is you want to stay completely away from the old lifestyle. Like if if you have a problem with alcohol, I'd encourage you uh, don't even drive by the bar that you used to attend. Boy, if you're an alcoholic. Well, don't go to the beer distributorship. Stay away from the things that are tempting you. Same thing with with a person that has a drug problem. You got to you got to have to sever some ties with some friends. You have to you know, take some names off your uh, phone list. You, you have to you have to make uh, choices to say I am going to not merely say I'm not going to do this sin. I'm going to say I'm not even going to get close to this thing because. I, I know my, my old nature is still there, and I could still go back to that thing. And Christians down through the centuries have done those type of things. Now, I want you to consider then why this is such a problem that this woman is saying. She's saying, oh, you can go back to the old temple sacrifices, the old feasts. But what goes on there? All kinds of immorality goes on there. And so as those people start going back to some of those old events, they get sucked into the old lifestyle. And so that's what Jesus is saying. He says, I gave, he says, I, she has seduced my spirits, my servants, excuse me, to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And once you start down that road, it gets a lot harder each moment you're on that bad road to say no. So I want you to think about how this would relate in, in churches today. Sometimes we have good churches, churches that are, have outreach and they have love and they have faith, but they're, they're not really um, helping their people to understand that there are certain things that you need to stay away from uh, to avoid going back to the old life. Uh, a lot of people struggle with pornography today. I, I have no idea what the, what the current percentages are. I'll just say this. It is pervasive in our culture. And so if you have a struggle with, with your thought life, um, well, do you, what, you're going to have to watch what kind of movies you watch. You're going to have to watch what kind of music you listen to. You're going to have to watch what kind of uh, magazines you pick up or if you even walk past the magazine rack. Christians that are struggling with pornography uh, have a real battle on their hands because they have an old nature that still wants to do evil and we don't want to just say, oh, I can handle this. I can, I can go back and start uh, watching some of these suggestive movies. I can, well, then don't be surprised when you go down the wrong road. And the other problem is, is that one sin leads to another. Just like going to the, the, the sacrifices of these idols often led them back right into the old sexual immorality. And let's be honest here. When you get into sexual immorality, lots of people get hurt. Spouses get hurt, kids get hurt, friends get hurt. And and so what Christ is saying is this woman, yeah, you've got a lot of good things going on, but you're letting this woman in there. She's claiming some big pro, uh, title of being a prophetess, and she's leading your people down the road of destruction. Families are going to be destroyed. People's lives are going to be destroyed. Unsaved people are going to look at, at the Christian and say, well, you're no different than I am, maybe a little worse. This is going to make a huge difference. And so Christ, that's why, can you understand why he says, uh, he says, I have eyes like fire to these people. He said, I have feet like brass. I'm willing to stomp on this sin because it's so bad. 
Now, I want you to notice not only what Jezebel was, was doing, but what she didn't do. And that is, Jesus says in verse 21, I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. So Christ is even saying, look, I, don't want to, I didn't want to judge her either. I wanted to be merciful to her. But she's leading people down the wrong road. She's going down the wrong road herself. She's leading others to go with her. And she's not repenting. I gave her, I gave her some time. And she's not taking advantage of it. So what's going to be her fate? Verse 22. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. Now, a couple things going on here. First of all, he mentions this sickbed or sickness. Uh, it reminds me of, of when Christian people uh, violate the Lord's Supper. I don't know how many of you have have really considered the teaching on the Lord's Supper. Some people think that it's kind of like something that everybody should just do. Uh, when you go to church, you know, you take the communion. We, we call it the Lord's Supper. It's, it's really synonymous, the terms are, in my mind. So so you go to the church and you partake maybe of the of the bread or some in some churches like ours, bread and juice. Uh, we don't do the Lord's Supper all the time. We only do it uh, once a quarter. And you say, Pastor, why why do you not observe the Lord's Supper like every week? Well, a couple reasons. One is we want it to be special. But a second reason is because there is a great seriousness about that ceremony and the fact that, well, let me read it to you. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, where it says this. I'm in verse um, 27. Therefore... Whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. That's pretty serious. That's very serious. He's saying if you if you partake of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner, now what would that involve? A couple things. One, it could involve holding on to sin that I'm not willing to, to confess and forsake. So uh, I'm saying, no, God, I'm not going to deal with that. I, I, uh, I'm living with my girlfriend. I, I don't care what you say about that. I'm going to take communion like everything is good, uh, but I'm not giving that to you. That's a partaking of the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner because what we're doing is we're saying, oh yeah, I'm going to sin against God. I'm going to actually make Jesus pay for that sin, which he did on the cross. I don't care that he has to do that. I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to celebrate Christ's death for me. That is making a mockery out of the Lord's Supper. So he says, but let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. He goes down, he says, for he that eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning or not caring about the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep or had actually died. What I find interesting is he said, failing to observe the Lord's Supper in a righteous and godly way has resulted in people being weak, people being sick, and people dying. <clears throat> and I wonder if that's part of what Jesus is talking about here. It might be the fact that he's still trying to show mercy to Jezebel and her group by saying, I will cast her into a sick bed because I'm still giving her a chance to repent if she'll turn around, but she's going to go through some real, literal physical sickness. That's a possibility. He also says... 
and, 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 and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. Now, the problem about great tribulation is that's something that is... Um, uh, is 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 in the book of Revelation is coming after Christ takes his own out of the world. And that is indicating that Jezebel herself and many of those who are following her, even though they're part uh, visibly of the church of Thyatira, they're not true believers. So you have this loving church, but you got this element in it of people who are <clears throat> going back to worldly lifestyles, getting sucked into the old lifestyle, some of these people are genuine Christians who've been deceived by Jezebel. Some of them were are not believers at all, who are just loving the fact that they can get back into the old lifestyle and actually be approved of it in the church. Christ goes on. Uh, what else does he say that's going to happen to Jezebel if she's going to uh, continue on? He says, I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your works. And so you'll notice again Christ's very serious judgment upon these people. I don't know if you realize it, but there are two deaths. There's the physical death that that, that every one of us will goes through uh, when we leave this life before Christ's return, and there's also the second death. It's kind of interesting. He said, I'll kill her children with death. It seems to be indicating that these he's talking about people who really are lost. And they're not just going to die the physical death. They're going to die the second death, the eternal death. Let me just read to you about that so you understand what I'm talking about. It's, this is out of Revelation chapter 20 and verse 15. It says, And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now, what what the lake of fire has to do in verse chapter 21 now verse 8 it says but the cowardly unbelieving abominable murderers sexually immoral sorcerers idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone which is the second death so hell is sometimes referred to as the second death and again indicating that Jezebel and those not all but some of those that were following her were not even saved at all they were not even true believers now, Christ then has some challenges for his loyal followers. What, what do they do? Because you got this woman, she's already in, in, in a place of authority, evidently, and she's teaching as if she's some prophet, and she's leading the people back into sin. And, and just be careful of this when you're considering churches. If there's a nonchalant attitude toward things that are ungodly that will pull God's people down, um, then, then you might want to consider that either they need to deal with that sin or it might not be a church that you want to identify with. Because, because the, those, the media, the, the, um, the, the places of entertainment, the, the, the things of this world really do pull good Christians down and can destroy uh, their lives and ruin their testimony and destroy their families and just so much that can go on. And that's why, as Christians, we, we stand against evil. Uh, and it's not because we hate the people um, that are, that are uh, doing these things. It's not that uh, we, you know, Christians uh, hate those who don't agree with us. It's that out of love for the Lord, we, we don't want to go back to a, an ungodly lifestyle. So what does Christ challenge then the people that are going to listen? He says, now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many who as do not have this doctrine. 
who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden, but hold fast what you have till I come. So Christ is is challenging the, uh, the this church, and he is saying, uh, "Look, I, I, he's not. It's kind of interesting. It's kind of sad in a way to me, because he's saying, I, I just want you to hold what you've got. I'm not even going to give you anything else to do." And I, again, I find that sad. I, it's it's like um, they he really can't expect them to go much beyond um, avoiding getting into deeper trouble. Hang on to what you do know. He understands that there's a lot of things, unfortunately, that they don't know. Um, and it's interesting also when he says, unto you, I say, um, that it's, um, uh, uh, I, I believe he's addressing there the pastor himself of the church. And then he says, and to the rest of Thyatira, who, uh, as many as do not have this doctrine. So he's saying, okay, pastor, you know better than that. And those of your congregation that also know that being nonchalant with the ungodly practices of the world that are that call the believer back and 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 pull him back into a life of sin you know better than this okay then uh here's what i'm telling you to do i'm telling you to hold on to what you know don't give it up don't don't uh, follow this wrong teaching and then he promises some blessings if they will follow that simple command. Just look, hang on to what you do know. It says in verse 26, and he who overcomes, and that will be the person who obeys what the Lord says here. It says, okay, you're God and I'm not. I understand you're going to be willing to deal with sin. And so I, I'm not going to go that direction. He says, he who overcomes and keeps my works until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed in pieces like potter's vessels, as also I have received from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So our Lord is saying, here's how I'm going to bless you if you'll be loyal to me, even when others are compromising and going back to the old ungodly lifestyle around you. He's saying, I'm going to give you authority over the nations. Now, what does he mean by that? We're not living in a time, I think it's pretty obvious, we're not living in a time where God's uh, kingdom is highly exalted. And to be quite frank with you, the world hasn't seen that time. There are pockets where you'd find God doing a great work um, among people, um, but you'll find also that that work uh, is not a permanent thing. Each generation, each individual needs to make their own choices. And, um, and, and so the work of God uh, sometimes will become very mighty in, air, in an area, but that is no guarantee it's going to continue. And if we look across the scope of humanity, it is not the popular position across the world or the popular position in places of power. Let me give you a couple examples. A number of years ago, we're talking over 100 years ago, there was a Welsh missionary who was stirred up to go to a part of India um, where there was a tribal group that was uh, cannibalistic. And so he went there and uh, began to witness to those people, and God preserved his life, and he was only able to be there a short time. He actually was kicked out by the British government that was um, in, in, in rule, that a colony, they, India was a colony at that time. And so they kicked him out, but before he was, was removed from the country, he had a powerful impact upon this tribe that was in, in, in such darkness and such fear and hatred. 
Uh, again, cannibalistic people. As a result of of his short period of time there, there was one particular man who, who not only got saved, but really became a close follower of the missionary from Wales. And when, when, he, when the missionary had to leave, this guy kind of, it was thrown into his lap to reach his people. And so he was preaching to them and, and sharing Christ with them. And um, I believe I told you in the past about how he uh, had a son that he challenged to learn to read, to learn how to read the Bible, to learn how to actually uh, put his own language. They did not have a written language at the time to put his own language into written form, their own their own um, uh, audio uh, audible language into written form, and then to actually translate the Bible into that language. And this young kid, I think he was maybe nine or ten when his dad kind of throws this vision upon him. And a number of things happened, but the young man did grow up. It's a true story. Um, he, uh, the young man uh, did grow up and actually did come to not only learn to read in his own country, then through God's grace and goodness ended up both in Great Britain and the United States, um, went to seminary, learned not uh, how to uh, write his own language, uh, and then actually then translated the scriptures into his language, and even then taught the people to read it. As a result of all of those years of work, that tribal group was almost completely uh, renovated, and almost everyone became a believer. Now, I do not know what's happening in that tribal group today. I can just tell you this. It was great that God did such a great work among that group of people, but that is no guarantee that that same group of people is going on with the Lord. Now, each generation, each individual within that generation is going to make his or her own choice. You may not realize this, but in colonial America, one of the hot spots of Christianity, especially during the um, time uh, right before the American Revolution, we're talking in the 1730s up through about 1770, one of the hot spots for gospel preaching and gospel influence was New England. Now, New England today is far from from uh, worshiping the, the true God. There's, the, it's very sporadic up there anymore. Um, but in that day, in the, in the colonial America, uh, George Whitfield, who comes from England uh, and comes to the United States and made many trips there, commented on how blessed the folks of New England were and how much light had been given to them. But again, each generation, each individual within that generation must make choices. And so our Lord is, is challenging this church, and it matters. It matters what they do because the bottom line is the kingdom of God is not the popular uh, kingdom across the earth. And what Jesus is talking about when he says you're going to rule the nations with a rod of iron, he's talking about the day when he returns as king. And at that time, he's going to set up his uh, rule across the world. And he's actually referencing something that was written down in Psalm 2, which was written uh, a thousand years actually before B.C., a thousand years uh, before Christ, by uh, King David. And in Psalm 2, uh, he makes this statement, I will declare the decree, the Lord has said to me, you are my son, today I have begotten you. That's a prophecy of Jesus being God's son and coming into the earth. 
And also, by the way, it's applied to his resurrection in the book of Hebrews. He says, ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. Now, this is God the Father talking to God the Son. Ask of me, and I will give you the nations for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron. You shall dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. You say, wow, that sounds pretty violent. Sounds like our Lord is using those uh, feet of brass. Uh, why Why would Christ have to come with such violence? Well, let me just say that the nations of the world, by and large, have never wanted Christ's kingdom on earth, and they do not want to serve Christ. Even those supposed Christian nations have rarely really wanted to follow Jesus Christ uh, personally. They, you know, the individual kings, there may be some, uh, and different rulers that have uh, a genuine faith in Christ, but by and large. And how Psalm 2, in the earlier part of the psalm, references it, it says, the kings of the earth set themselves... And the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his Christ, saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. Now, the nations of the world are not in favor of the Lord. And when when, when the great tribulation that Jesus mentioned here comes to pass and, and believers are taken out of, of society, what you find is when this world is completely in in all the places of power in the hands of ungodly people, that it's going to be an absolute mess. People will be uh, trampled on by governments in that era. And when the Lord comes back, there will justly be putting people down with a rod of iron, people who have abused and oppressed and violently uh, murdered uh, masses of people. And so when the Lord comes back to to establish his kingdom, um, he will be right to rule with a rod of iron. He mentions one more thing he'll give me. He says, I will give you the morning star. And that's a reference to Jesus himself. Uh, In Revelation chapter 22 and verse 16, Jesus said, I am the bright and morning star. And so he's saying, you're not just going to have a part of my kingdom. You're not just going to have authority. You're going to be in fellowship with me myself. And what a great promise that is. Because these people, because uh, the loyal ones who are not going back to the pagan sacrifices and are not getting back into the old lifestyle, they're going to be on the outs. They're going to be the misfits. They're going to be the ones that get persecuted, laughed at, maybe even violently uh, dealt with. And Jesus is saying, look, you just hang on. You be faithful to me. And and I will uh, give you authority one day. And I will bless you with my presence. Now, we're all commanded. He that has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what do we conclude from this? Well, we see that Jesus is completely aware of both the good and bad of this church. And let's be honest, he knows the good and bad of your life and of mine. The church was doing a lot of good things. But they also had um, some very serious errors going on. And Jesus is saying you need to deal with with these issues, you needed to absolutely not follow this woman back into your old lifestyle. Christ hates the teaching that undermines personal holiness and separation from ungodliness. And it's interesting, too, that he gave this woman a chance to repent. And I can't tell you how long of a window you may have to repent if you're not saved yet or you're not right with God and, and, and have drifted away. I can't tell you that. I would just say this, that, that God's patience uh, will end at some point on this earth. And so I would just beg you to deal with God now. One other thing we learn is that when we choose um, um, 
to go back to the ungodly lifestyle, even maybe make a short step in that direction, it can really turn into disaster. And can I encourage you on this to really think about some of these issues when you consider even even entertainment that enters many times into our homes? Um, what about things that mock God or blaspheme God's name or belittle God's standards or flaunt sin? Do they not call the Christian and pull the Christian back toward that ungodly lifestyle? So I'd encourage you, Christian, stay away from that stuff. Don't Don't start down the road that leads you back into evil because God sees what's going on in your heart. And God knows that if your heart is not loyal, pretty soon your feet aren't going to be loyal either. And and you go down the wrong direction. And and the problem is it won't just affect you. It affects people around you. Now I can see some people saying to me at this point, well, Pastor Jones, you know, you're one of those preachers that everything is wrong and you got to uh, stand against evil. And, and well, let me just say this. It's not merely what we're against. It's really more what we're for. If I If someone was insulting my wife, I pray and hope I would be very upset about that and I would not just let that go forward. Let me just give you one example and I got to stop. My, 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 when, my, when I was young, uh, my, my brother was about four years older than me, but he's still, he's still maybe eight or nine years old. And he was over playing uh, at our church because we were right across the, the driveway from it. And there's a lady in our church um, who uh, had something she was angry at my father about as the pastor. And she decided she'd take it out on my brother. And so she said some derogatory things about my dad and was nasty to my brother. My brother came back to the house upset, kind of crying. Well, my mom saw that go on, and my mom marched herself over and had a good old conversation with that lady, and she said simply this. She said, if you got a problem with my husband, talk to my husband. And she said, if you got a problem with me, talk to me. But don't you take out uh, your problem as an adult on a child. My mother was violently offended and rightly so. By the way, the woman thanked her for what she said. Violently offended by someone going after someone that she loved unjustly. And may I say that as Christians, what we're about, what we ought to be about, is not so much that we are despising our neighbor because he does something we disagree with. Not at all. But we ought to love God enough that when somebody insults him, it insults us too. That is Christian love And that's what is the fuel for genuine Christian holiness. May God bless you. If you have a spiritual need and would like to speak to someone who can help you, you can email us at help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Calkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Let me invite you, if you don't currently attend a Bible preaching church, to consider visiting us at Calkins. Our Sunday school starts at 9 a.m. with classes for all ages. Our morning worship service begins at 10 a.m. And our Sunday evening Bible study starts at 6.30 p.m. We provide a nursery for each of these services. We would also like to invite you to special services all this week with evangelist Tom Palmer. Tonight's service and all other meetings Monday through Friday start at 7 p.m. We would love to have you join us. Tom has been a great blessing to our church on several occasions with his heartfelt messages and emphasis on prayer. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening.